Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Chapter 9. The Last of His Kind. Best biotechnology product category. The winner is Biogen and Ionis for Spinraza. Accepting the award, Michelle Vunatsos, Chief Executive Officer, Biogen, and Stan Crook, Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, Ionis Pharmaceuticals. Spinraza won the Pre-Gallion Award for Best Biotechnology Product in 2017. The ceremony is a black tie event held in New York City, and it's billed as the Nobel Prize for Biopharmaceutical Drug Development. That raucous cheer at the announcement of the winner is from the Ionis team. Our table was in the back next to the camera, Frank Bennett told me. The group exploded when Spinraza was called. Ionis's antisense drug was chosen from 14 other nominees. Being interviewed at the ceremony after winning, Biogen CEO Michelle Vunatsos called the Biogen-Ionis collaboration a true partnership between two companies, and he commented on the years of effort it had taken to develop Spinraza. Stan Crook noted the drug had been a fundamental advance against a disease that is fatal and catastrophic. But Stan is always ready to talk about antisense, and he also pointed out that Spinraza came from a new technology that we have pioneered. Frank Bennett found that night, in mingling with a high society crowd, to be surreal. The stage, the announcement of winners, the legions of tuxedos. He wasn't used to that sort of glitz and glamour but that was nothing compared to the Breakthrough Prize ceremony. That event was founded by tech entrepreneur royalty, Sergey Brin, Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg, Yuri and Julia Milner, and Ann Wojcicki. The Breakthrough Prizes honor advances in the life sciences, in physics and mathematics, with winners getting $3 million in prize money. The ceremony itself is meant to mirror the Oscars, not the Nobel. There is a red carpet, a heavy media presence, and actual celebrities mixed in with the scientists. The whole event is streamed live online and is a serious attempt to honor science and make it look cool. A noble thought. Spinraza was nominated in the 2019 prize cycle, though the ceremony was held in November 2018 in a NASA hangar in Mountain View, California. The host was Pierce Brosnan. The actor Rachel McAdams was there, and so was Lapita Nyong'o. The director Ron Howard was seated at Frank and Adrian's table, as well as a supermodel that Frank couldn't identify. The presenters for Spinraza's award were Orlando Bloom and Ann Wojcicki. On a large screen, a pre-recorded video played interviews of Frank and Adrian talking about SMA and their work. Then segments from Diane and Matt Larson and Emma telling their story and how Spinraza had helped. The video ended and the Larsons themselves came on stage, live and in the flesh. Diane in a gorgeous black dress, one shoulder bare. Matthew in a tuxedo, his hair crisp and freshly cut. Emma in a wheelchair wearing a pink dress, her hair pulled back with barrettes. The crowd rose into a standing ovation that lasted for nearly 30 seconds until Diane started to speak. She talked about what the drug had meant to them and thanked Adrian and Frank for the time spent away from your family to save ours. 
Everybody was in tears, Frank told me. Then they called the scientists up, and the crowd rose to their feet again. For the de development of an effective anti-sense therapy for children with the degenerative disease, spinal muscular atrophy. The Breakthrough Prize for Life Sciences is awarded to Frank Bennett and Adrian Craner. Afterward, the two men slipped off the stage into a press room with the cameras and reporters. Frank felt like a deer in the headlights, he told me, but Orlando Bloom was with them, affable, friendly, at ease with the press attention. He was the coolest guy, Frank said, and Bloom honestly seemed to care about their work. He took a selfie with Adrian and Frank, and Wojcicki smiling wide in the background. He put it on his Instagram feed, hashtag the scientist says, real heroes. It got more than 40,000 likes. So if the greater world had not fully registered what Ionis and Biogen had done against this disease, the science community absolutely did. But as Richard Finkel, neurologist and clinician on the Spinraza trials, told me, there was more juice to be squeezed from this orange. From Nature Biotechnology, I'm Brady Huggett, and this is Hope Lies in Dreams. Spinraza was approved in the European Union in June 2017. In March 2020, a study was published in Lancet Neurology analyzing 139 SMA patients aged 16 to 65 from 10 treatment centers in Germany. The results examined patients over 6 to 14 months and showed clinically meaningful improvements in motor function, with the percentage of improved patients increasing the longer they were on the drug. Biogen, now fully in control of any further clinical development, launched a trial called DEVOTE in April 2020. The idea was to explore higher doses of Spinraza in all patient types to gauge a possible efficacy increase. The trial is set to run at 50 sites around the world. Biogen also kept monitoring the SHINE open-label extension trial, which, by 2020, had enrolled 292 patients from five earlier Spinraza studies. Each day, each patient metric formed a new data point, providing additional information on how the drug was working. Doug Kerr's Nurture trial reported an updated interim analysis in June 2020. After 4.8 years of treatment with Spinraza, 100% of the 25 children treated presymptomatically were alive, none of them needing permanent ventilation. 96% of these patients were able to walk with assistance. The natural history of this disease shows that the majority of type 1 SMA kids, if untreated, die before their second birthday. But the average age of the children in this trial by then was 3.8 years. This kind of survival was unprecedented, Biogen said. And there were some children in which not a symptom of the illness could be spotted at all, including Gabriel Peters, the very first child enrolled in the Nurture trial. Results from a drug trial is giving hope to people with a rare genetic disease called spinal muscular atrophy. Doctors have found that giving the treatment very early when patients are infants seems to be the key to helping them develop like typical children. Hillary Lane introduces us to a boy who was the first baby in the study. And the rest. Okay. 
Four-year-old Gabriel Peters loves playing outside with his brothers. It's something his parents never thought they'd see. Wouldn't think he'd have the opportunity to run around and play with his brothers like he does. And, and wrestle just, like he does. Yeah, it's just amazing to see it. Gabriel was diagnosed in utero with spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA. By almost any measure, Gabriel is developing normally, as an otherwise healthy child would. He is a patient at Columbia, under Daryl DeVivo, who has been watching Gabriel since his first injection. He has two older brothers and an older sister, a firstborn child of the family. She has SMA and is in a wheelchair. Uh-huh. So uh, the young boy, Gabriel, was seen by me at seven days of age and we, when he was perfectly normal. And at nine days of age, we gave him his first intrathecal injection of nurse and nurse. And he's, I, I talked with, I did Zoom meeting with the parents and Gabe last week, actually. He's perfectly normal. He's running around the house. He wrestles with his oldest brothers and usually wins. And uh, so he, he gets intrathecal nurse nurse every four months, three times a year. And he's just developing like a normal child. He's like a, the other two normal children. Even for patients doing as well as Gabriel, Spinraza is not a cure. Without regular infusions, the slow physical regression that is the hallmark of SMA would begin again. But when given before symptoms and regularly, so far Spinraza has the potential to at least look like a cure. Yet, Spinraza is also helpful for older patients. Kyle Durkowski was born in Schenectady, New York, in 1987. His father was a firefighter, his mother a nurse, and he has a brother two years older than he is. By now, this is a familiar story. For the first year of his life, everything was normal. But his parents thought he was developing slower than his brother had, and they took him to their pediatrician. The doctor found nothing outwardly wrong and advised them to just be patient. Kyle was eventually able to stand and move around by holding onto furniture, but he never took a step on his own, and by the time he was one and a half, his parents were worried enough to bring him to a neurologist, in Albany, about 20 miles away. After a muscle biopsy, the neurologist there concluded it was SMA, but he was not particularly familiar with the disease, and he incorrectly labeled Kyle as type 1. This neurologist told the Drakowskis that their son would likely die before he turned two, and that there was nothing therapeutically to be done. The Drakowskis both took leaves of absence from their jobs, and family members and friends came to visit, as the imagined short window of Kyle's life closed. But when his second birthday drew closer and he did not seem near death, his parents wanted another opinion. They went to Newington, Connecticut, to a children's hospital there with a muscular dystrophy clinic. A neurologist examined Kyle. Um, and he could tell right away that I wasn't the most severe form just by looking at me. Um, and he said that, you know, I was in type 2. Actually, I think he even said I was a, a strong type 2, so he called me like a type 2 and a half, um, which obviously gave my parents a lot more hope than, um, you know, the worst-case scenario. So Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he said, you know, I'm definitely going to live past the age of 2. I'll make it into adulthood. Um, and I think even that day, there happened to be a guy there, um, his name is Armand, he was like an accountant. He was just a middle-aged guy, um, same type as me. So he actually like talked to my parents. Armand stood as an immediate example. Here was an adult man with a job, out living in the world. That too gave the Drakowskis hope. Suddenly the question was no longer, when will our child die? But rather, what shape will his life take? And what can the scope of it be? One of the first things the Drakowskis did was go to an SMA annual conference in Chicago. 
The gatherings were smaller then, run by families of SMA, now called Cure SMA. That organization was founded by Audrey Lewis, whose adopted son Garrett was a type 2. Garrett was four years older than Kyle and served as a role model. Whatever Garrett could do, Kyle hoped he'd be able to do too. On the whole, the conference was revelatory for his parents, Kyle said, helping them see how they'd be able to adjust and live within the constraints that SMA places on families. Kyle would never walk. He spent his childhood in a wheelchair, and Medicaid paid for physical therapy once or twice a week to combat the muscle contracture that comes with all that sitting and lack of use. Still, even with the physical therapy, it was a battle you knew you were going to lose, he told me. Nothing could stop or reverse the disease. He remembers when the SMA gene was discovered. That was a big deal, he said. He remembers when a mouse model of SMA was created, another huge step. These things gave Kyle valuable hope because he knew that someone, somewhere, was working on a drug. But one day he overheard a family friend who was employed at pharmaceuticals telling his father that generally the path to drug approval was hard and could take as long as 30 years. And at the time I was probably like 13 or 14, so that was like devastating news because I was always really hopeful. In fact, I remember someone told us once, um, and she was like in the know, so we trusted her, but she said like, I'm pretty, she's like, I'm sure this will be over by the year 2000. And we're like, oh, great. So, you know, like as a kid, I was like, well, okay, year 2000, I'll be in eighth grade. You know, if I'm walking by then, I could still reasonably make the varsity football team <laughs> a couple years later. Um, you know what I mean? So it's like, I was pretty hopeful as a kid. Um, and the hope kind of waned as time went yeah. on. There was no alternative, of course, but to keep moving forward. And Kyle soon learned what he needed to do in order to keep himself mentally healthy. But I just remember at a certain point, I realized um, I can like sit here and sob and cry and, and despair and feel really bad for myself. But when I'm done, I'm no less handicapped than I was when I started. So what good is it doing me? And, and from that point on, I was just kind of like, I'm not going to waste my time anymore. Because um, I just kind of realized like happiness was a choice that I could make. Um, and I started to make it rather than feel bad because there's just, I don't know, there's no point. Like, it was just, why would I go through a life feeling crappy if I didn't have to? I could just be happy instead. Kyle earned his undergraduate degree at the College of St. Rose in Albany, commuting there and studying communications and computer science. His best friend Dan went away for college at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And there he met a woman named Laura. The summer of 2006, Laura made a road trip to Schenectady to visit Dan, and she also met Kyle. Kyle and Laura hit it off, and maybe, right then in that moment, he decided to play the long game. They emailed, texted, stayed in touch for years, miles apart. When Laura graduated, she moved to the Washington, D.C. area. With school over, their communication increased and deepened until it turned into a form of long-distance dating. Kyle was in graduate school by then commuting to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in Troy, New York. When he graduated with a master's degree in information technology, he looked for a job in the D.C. area and moved down to be closer to Laura. And now they were seriously dating. And a few years later, in December 2013, Kyle proposed. So I actually took her to, it was her birthday, and I took her to um, the Lincoln Memorial. Oh, yeah. At night. Um, it was December, um, but it wasn't that cold out, so it was a nice day. Um, and I told her I wanted to take her to like see the Christmas lights or something in DC. So we get down there and we get to the top of um, the Lincoln Memorial. And I had her friend staged down at the bottom of the steps. 
and um, they had a big like light up sign with Christmas lights that said "Marry Me." It took Laura a second to figure things out. She saw the sign and turned to Kyle. That's so cute, she said. I wonder who it's for. They were married in December 2014 in Laura's hometown in Pennsylvania. A few months before, though, Kyle took Laura to a Virginia-based QSMA meeting. He had not attended many as an adult. He'd never really wanted to be a cheerleader for the disabled or spend time raising awareness of the disease. He'd already led a life of being noticed. No one quietly blends into the crowd when they are in a wheelchair, he told me, particularly a wheelchair as specialized as his. It's a spectacle, he said. It was not uncommon for Kyle, growing up, to feel like the center of attention just by entering the room. He didn't want that any longer. Kyle wanted to just be an average guy, he told me. But now it was important that Laura have a better understanding of the SMA community and their life ahead. At the meeting, he was the center of attention again but in a new way. And that was great because at that point I was an adult, but then all the kids were looking at me. So, um, especially because I was engaged and I think that like is not so common uh, ah. for, for disabled people. So um, a lot of people were asking me about that and just, I don't know, like people like literally came up to me and said like, you give me hope. There was interest in Laura too. People wanted to know how they met, how they managed their day-to-day life. Laura was already used to this. She'd been getting questions for years about her life with Kyle, from curious friends who wanted to know why she'd made the choices she did. In some ways, their curiosity all boiled down to the same thing. What makes you choose a disabled person to spend your life with? At first, it had exasperated Laura to have to explain that Kyle is an amazing person, witty and smart, well-educated with a good career. It exasperated her to explain that Kyle's body is not the sum of him. The questions at the Cure SMA meeting felt different, though. Her friends and family had wanted insight into Laura's life. The folks at the SMA community wanted insight into their own lives about what might be possible for them. The attention on Kyle reminded him how important it had been for him to have role models as a boy, and he realized that he could be a model for others. Kyle and Laura began to participate more in the Cure SMA community. They are now both Virginia chapter officers. And when Kyle spoke publicly about SMA, whether it was for a local news segment or for a Cure SMA profile, he dropped in select information from his life. That he has a job, for instance. He has a mortgage. That he is married. That his wife is amazing and beautiful. Each detail is a flag Kyle raises for a younger SMA person to see. They are beacons, almost. Look at me, they say. My life is full. I am out living in the world. I'm contributing to society, and you can do this too. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Kyle had always wanted to participate in a clinical trial, 
but the ones he came across were for the most severe form of SMA or younger patients. But once Benraza was approved, right away he knew he wanted to be on it. His first dose was in August 2018 at Georgetown Medical School when Kyle was 30. He'd had spine fusion surgery when he was 12 to correct scoliosis, so the Spinraza injection had to be done into his cervical spine rather than lumbar. The whole process took two and a half hours. When he got home, he spent the rest of the day in bed as a precaution and drank some caffeine because he'd heard that helps. His insurance covered the drug, and Biogen picked up the co-pays. A few months in, he began to notice changes. Like the SMA community has a pretty strong online presence because we're all spread out. and um, So there's a lot of people who like report what they're feeling and their, their results like in Facebook groups and other forums. Um, so I'd, I don't know, I had expectations about what would happen and um, you know, I read a bunch of stuff. Um, but in, like in my case, I'd, I really didn't feel anything any difference for probably a good three or four months. Um, so I, I think there were like three or four loading doses within the span of like two months. Um, and then probably like by the first maintenance dose, I could actually start to feel a difference. And I think part of that was because I was really, really guarded in, um, in like my own expectations. Emotionally. You mean because I, yeah, I knew like if I was optimistic about it, I would start finding things like, oh, I can do this, or I feel different now. Um, but I didn't want it to be like a placebo effect. Yeah. So I was like really cautious and like admitting to myself if I was gonna, if I was feeling any kind of effect, so. So what did you feel? I mean, did you feel like, okay, it's, it's easier to move around or it's easier to, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it kind of started, like, to me, it's like the functionality that I notice. So um, going around like a, like a, a, an on-ramp to a highway that's like really, um, like a, like a, sharp turn, I'll notice like, wait a second, like I can actually hold my own head up now in the car um, when I couldn't before. Or um, I'll notice that I can like lift up a heavier cup of water or like there's a little more water in it than I can normally pick up, Um, stuff like that. Or um, kind of, this is like the one that was kind of like the most profound to me, even though it's kind of weird. Um, I was eating a, a hard shell taco and for I mean, my, in my childhood, I could always pick up a taco, no problem. Um, but for like the past couple of years, I had to like cut it up and eat with a fork uh. um, just because it was a little too heavy for me to lift yeah. at that point. Um, but then at one point, you know, like, uh, I think I'd been like on spin for like six months. I had a taco and there was like no problem handling it. I was like, okay. The SMA field has shifted greatly since spin was approved in late 2016. There's been a push by Cure SMA and others to get newborn screening for the disease. It was added to a list of disorders that the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services recommends for states to include in their newborn screening programs. That happened in 2018. And by April of this year, 36 states had added SMA to their screening, covering an estimated 71% of newborn babies in the U.S. That's according to data from Cure SMA. This has vastly increased the identification of these patients. The other aspect is new treatment options. Spinraza kicked open the door, and now others are coming through it. In May 2019, the FDA approved a gene therapy product called Zolgensma for SMA patients less than two years of age. The drug is an adeno-associated virus vector-based gene therapy with a vector designed to carry a functional copy of human SMN gene into motor neuron cells. It is given by intravenous infusion. The drug was developed by Avexis and sponsored by Novartis 
which has plans to expand the approval for the broader SMA population, if possible. In August 2020, the FDA approved Evrisd, an oral small molecule drug, for SMA sufferers older than two months. The approval went to the biotech Genentech, which is owned by Roche, but the drug was developed by PTC Therapeutics. Evrisd is a survival motor neuron 2 directed RNA splicing modifier. In January of this year, Biogen said it had launched a trial called RESPOND, a phase 4 study that is evaluating the effects of Spinraza in infants and children who have unmet medical needs after receiving treatment with Zolgensma. The trial is taking place at 20 sites worldwide and aims to enroll up to 60 children. These advancements are leading to a world in which the SMA community will be stratified. Here is the neurologist Richard Finkel. So what's going to happen in the coming few years, in the very near future, is that the majority of patients who have SMA will be identified within the first week or two of life from this uh, newborn screening method, from that blood spot that's obtained. Those parents will be faced with uh, the choice of which of two or probably three drugs uh, to select for treatment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or perhaps there will be some parents who will still say, you know, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with any treatment and they want to do more comfort measures. Yeah. But certainly the vast, vast majority when presented the data that, um, that these babies by and large are growing up and normal at age three, four, and five years. Uh, and that's been my observation in the five that I've treated. So I'm um, very much supportive of this effort. So there's gonna be that whole group of patients that will be emerging over the next few years. Uh, and then there's the group of patients who have already been diagnosed with SMA and are living with the disease. Mm-hmm. So. So you're going to have, on one hand, this pre-symptomatic group, and on the other hand, you're going to have the symptomatic group. Um, And some of these patients are now 20 or 30 years living with SMA. Um, And others will have just been recently diagnosed. So the challenge to the clinician is is going to be even more substantial uh, because, again, you'll be dealing with these two different groups of patients, uh, and they're going to be treated differently. Yeah, They're going to be given the same treatment options, but the approach to treatment uh, may be different. Yet, if patients like Kyle were born too early, in a sense, for the best that these drugs can offer, they still can have a profound effect on their outlook. Here's Kyle. I can't expect as much of a change as someone who's just born and asymptomatic and, or pre-symptomatic, I guess. And so I, for, for me, it's still... A miracle is still life-changing because, number one, I'm, I firmly believe that it's it's helping me not decline. So that's that's always a fear, like, growing up, like, what can I do today that I won't be able to do tomorrow? Like, um, you know, when I was a kid, I could reach on top of my head and comb my hair, stuff like that. I could um, unbutton my shirt or whatever. And then at, at some point, like, I realized, oh, I can't do that anymore. So there's always kind of a, been a fear in the back of my mind, like, what am I doing right now that I, I won't like be physically able to do in a year or two or five years? Yeah. Um, and I feel the total opposite now. I feel like, what can I do in five years that I can't do today? Um, which is just a huge difference. And um, yeah, so not only do I feel like um, I'm not declining, I feel like I'm gaining strength. 
I mean, does it sort of change the way you view the future, I guess? Totally, yeah. Again, my, my expectations are still modest and I'm guarded about it um, because I know you know, I'm not going to walk again. I know that or walk ever, I guess. Um, but, you know, maybe I can do things that I used to be able to do that I can't do now. Um, and because like every little thing I can do leads to like a little more independence. With these new treatment options, the FDA held in August 2020 a critical path innovation meeting to discuss the shifting burden of SMA in the patient population. The point was to discuss what life is like for people with SMA now that there are treatment options and to consider what still can be done to address unmet needs. Kyle spoke at the meeting, virtually, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. He talked about his childhood and how being disabled affected him. He talked about how he slowly downsized his view of the future as he aged, as he lost strength or abilities. Yet Spinraza has allowed him to reorient my mindset, he told them. For the first time in my life, I imagined what abilities I might gain in the future instead of what I would lose, he said. And he told them that after decades of slow decline, when I look back over the past two years, for the first time in my life, I am stronger now than I was then. The mortality rates for those living with SMA type 2 was information Kyle never cared to know as he got older. He didn't like to think about his life with an expiration date already stamped on it. Still, he did not need to look far for examples. He had Armand, for one, the man his family had seen on that first visit to the MDA clinic in Connecticut when Kyle was not yet two. Kyle and his father ran into him again, years later, when Kyle was still a teenager. Um, I saw him at a trade show, and um, he was doing great. Um, he had just retired. He was actually married, too. Um, but at the same time, like, he was, um, he had a can of, of soda with a straw in it that he was kind of holding in his lap. Um, and my dad was there with me, and he asked my dad to lift up the can to his mouth so he could, like, drink the last bit of soda. Um, and kind of, like, I don't know, stuff like that I would see, and I was like, gosh, like, I mean, I could I could lift soda at that point, no problem. And I'm like, am I going to... Is that going to be, be me in a few yeah. years or however long? So, like, it's a very, like, real fear that I had. That fear has gone away with Spinraza. Kyle acknowledges that his future, his lifespan, is unknown now. That is a good thing. History does not contain people like him, an adult SMA sufferer who has a therapy to stop the progression of the disease. It's never happened before. And with increased prenatal or newborn screening, even people with the most severe form of SMA should grow up looking completely different from Kyle. And he finds it exciting. I kind of um, grew up in the atmosphere where, like, not a lot was known, but there was a lot of hope. And now I get to, like be an adult during this time where like the hope is coming to fruition and like a lot of really exciting things are happening. So it's, I don't know, it's, I'm kind of, I feel lucky. I think it's a cool time to be alive where like a disease that I have is like basically on the brink of like being cured. So um, it makes me feel a little bit like an endangered species. Like, like maybe like, I don't know, people in the future like won't have my experiences that I've had in life. And it's kind of weird to think about that. Laura works part-time at a crisis pregnancy center, and Kyle is a software developer for the government. They live in a new development outside D.C. and are considering children. They already know that Laura is not a carrier for SMA. When Kyle considers the future of SMA, he thinks about polio and these old photos seen in textbooks of people in wheelchairs. His generation sees those photos and thinks, that was an old-timey sickness, and we don't need to worry about that anymore. 
He hopes one day some grandchild or great-grandchild of his will see a picture of him in his wheelchair and ask what was wrong. That was spinal muscular atrophy, someone will say. It's not something we worry about anymore. This is what Kyle means when he says he feels like an endangered species. Kyle Durkowski might be the last of his kind. None of this is lost on those associated with developing Spinraza. Here's Stan. And, you know, that's a piece of magic. I mean, that's a once-in-a-century event to have a drug like that. If, if you look historically at any illness where, where you have a severe illness and half the patients are dying in six months, all progress with drugs is incremental. And, and, and it usually comes at a terrible tox price. Just, just think about the history of cancer uh-huh. treatment. And that's a history I lived, right? Uh, here, in a single step, you have a drug that we now know if we treat before symptoms, most of these babies develop like normal children. We've got now patients that have been on the drug seven years. There are really no meaningful side effects that occur, and that's all in one step. And you, you have to go back and, and think about uh, the only place I can see where that actually happened before was like penicillin. Uh-huh where you have a very different kind of proposition, right? It's not a chronic disease, it's just an acute infection. But it, to go from a, a fatal, awful, terrible disease in a single step to, you know, in effect, cure, and even if you got patients late, you can make them all better, and they get better the longer you treat this. So far, the better they get. Um, that, 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 and no, no, main, no meaningful side effects. Yeah. It was just not believable. For Adrian Craner, when he thinks about Spinraza, he first thinks of the patients his work has been able to help, including the children he now knows personally, like Emma Larson. He thinks gratefully about Ionis having done the hard chemistry work of getting the antisense molecule to function in the body. But he also thinks about the life of a researcher and how big breakthroughs are often a combination of years of labor and serendipity. I think I'd be foolish not to recognize that we were very lucky. I feel that we did all the right experiments in the right order. Everything was very systematic. And, you know, so in some ways we were designing, you know, there's mechanism based, there's the whole logic. But yeah, I do know that, you know, if we hadn't picked this chemistry and we picked a similar chemistry with a subtle difference, it wouldn't have worked. It would have worked, it looked like it worked, and then we got to the CNS. And, and it's bad. And probably, you know, if that's what we had at the time, we would have had to drop it. And, and so it, there's the luck that the timing was such that we had access to this chemistry that does work well in the CNS. And, and that is very empirical. So, you know, until you have a chemistry that works, you don't know if you can get a chemistry that works. And, and there's no doubt that, the, you know, there was luck, but... You know, people say that luck favors a prepared mind, so. (laughs) For Frank Bennett, the approval of Spinraza not only has put an exclamation point in a long career wrangling with antisense, but it's given him something to keep chasing. You know, the SMA project, and I should go back and, uh, you know, just uh, really emphasize how wonderful a partner Adrian Craner was, you know, in, in this process, you know, with Without Adrian, I'm not sure. I think it's converse, you know, without each other, I'm not sure we'd have a drug. And so... Adrian was a tremendous uh, uh, collaborator and, and 
partner in, you know in, in moving that drug forward but uh you know it's it's like um uh, maybe a bad sports analogy but winning the super bowl you know where you've worked your whole life worked really hard and and you finally you know uh, won the super bowl everything else feels like a letdown after that one moment and and it, it it's kind of addicting where you, you want to do that again and again. And you have to recognize that, you know, you may not have that fortunate, uh, 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 be fortunate, you know, in the future. But, uh, um, you know, it, it really was, you know, the most gratifying thing I've ever done in my life and, and the most special, uh, you know. And it wasn't so much the accolades as, as really seeing the impact on the children. Kathy Bishop is now the Senior Vice President, Head of Rare Disease and External Innovation at Acadia Pharmaceuticals. During the years that she attended Curisame meetings, giving talks about the clinical trials and what they were like, she often got letters and holiday cards from parents thanking her for the work she was doing. It wasn't always nice, though. Sometimes she was attacked online or in emails and letters because Ionis and Biogen refused to supply the drug on compassionate use grounds to the general population. That sort of thing would be unfair to the parents who had taken the courageous step of enrolling their children into the placebo-controlled trials. But it speaks to the desperate, emotional place that the parents of SMA children inhabit. I asked Kathy about the need for parents to have hope when dealing with a terminal diagnosis for their child. And that's what I always thought about was hope. Um, SMA, is, especially the infant form, um, is a terrible disease. So the parents... You have a child who seems normal. You go home. Um, everything's going along well. You um, have a new baby, so adjusting to that. But then you find out, like, say, at about three months of age, they start not functioning as well as other babies. So you start to notice differences. Like you said, you go in, you get this terrible diagnosis. And before Spinraza or any of the other drugs, it was just, okay, they will probably end up on a ventilator, but there's nothing you can do in the average age um, of survival is 18 months. So it's really, really terrible situation. Um, in talking to parents, especially early on, there was just so much hope. That hope goes a long way for parents and children. After we'd finished one of our interviews, Kathy sent me a follow-up email. What you said about hope really strikes a chord with me, she wrote. As I felt all along, that was the driving force behind Spinraza. I actually have carried this quote around in my wallet since I left the Salk Institute in 2001, she wrote, and thought of it often when working on Spinraza. The quote is inscribed on the walkway to the courtyard at the Salk Institute, and it comes from Jonas Salk himself. It reads, Hope lies in dreams, in imagination, and in the courage of those who dare to make dreams into reality. Thanks to Stan Crook, now and always. Thanks to Daryl DeVivo and Richard Finkel for their clinical expertise. Thanks to Kathy Bishop and Frank Bennett and Adrian Craner. Thank you to Kyle and Laura Durkowski for sharing their experience with SMA and Spinraza and the details of their life. The news clip on Gabriel Peters is from CBS station WCAX. Sound mix and original theme by Brian Flood. All art created by Aaron DeWalt. Hope Lies in Dreams was written and produced by me, Brady Huggett. Go to the homepage of Nature Biotechnology to find the landing page for this podcast, which includes a list of sources, 
historical photos, and a transcript of this and the previous eight chapters. Chapter 10, the final chapter, will be out in a week. Until then. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.